0: energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions, including, well, what do I say when? And well, what do I do when? So that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you are here? I trust that you'll be glad. Welcome, everyone. I am thrilled you are here for this week's episode. And it is an honor and a privilege to be able to sit down with April Dinwiddie, who has done amazing work and continues to do amazing work in the field of adoption, we're going to dive right in and just start talking about really practical things uh, that that families uh, need to know. It's summertime, there are a lot of family reunions happening. We thought we'd dive in a little bit today about how to navigate that with adoptees uh, and blended families, including adoption, all kinds of different ways that shows up and really help parents think through what their children are likely to need. As, we, as I say often, there's no singular adoptee story, so you can't predict to a T, but there are some themes and things we know happen. So, so April, before we jump in, I would love for you to, to let my listeners know a little bit about which experiences and how your experience have, have brought you to be this nationally known expert in transracial adoption.
1: Oh, well, thanks for having me and thanks for the conversation and the warm welcome. Gosh, the life of a transracially adopted person, I, it, it, it sort of for me wasn't if it was when I'd be talking more formally about something that I almost never talked about informally growing up. Um, so when you have this circumstance and situation of being enfolded into an amazing family of experience, I call that my adoptive family, my family of experience, and They're amazing and they're awesome and you have all the things you need um, materially. uh, And then there's this big big elephant in the room, which is differences of race and differences of biology that isn't discussed. And, And so as I started to be able to put language to some of my experiences and found a community, it just seemed fitting to share what I know so that the next generation or future generations of adopted persons can have a little bit of an easier time navigating Mm -hmm. identity and family than I did. So it's very much um, a product of me talking about this now as much as I do is very much in service of the future and very much because I didn't talk about these things enough growing up.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. And I know for, for listeners here, April has a podcast, right? Born in June, Raised in April. And but Adoption Can Teach the World. And you've written for Huffington Pose. And so you've really... Um, Been very generous of your time and energy to support families and for my listeners who are clinicians, too. I think I can't say enough. I start these episodes and a lot of my work by recognizing that I sit in a place of privilege around this. I'm an adoptive parent and adoptive parents have taken up a ton of the airspace uh, around these issues and created a narrative that hasn't served adoptees uh, a lot of the time or, 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 adoptive parents, right? Cause if our kids aren't served, then in some ways, big pieces are missing for us if we're awake at all. And so I, I really like to direct people toward, you know, firsthand experiences and voices that that have shaped some of the shifts in how we think about adoption and adoptees and, and what parents need to do to be getting it right or loving, committed, caring parents, right? It always feels like there's this piece where we have to say, we know that we're good people <laughs> and that, that it's so important to center adoptee voices in the teachings and the threads and the themes that, that come into this work and that show up at different phases. I think that's the other thing too, is that we perpetually imagine adoptees as like three or, you know, or four and recognize that there's a complex integration that happens. So one of the things that I'm trying to do in these conversations is break things down into like concrete examples of when adoption shows up in a family story that, that requires parents to wrap their minds around difficult emotions, unexpected conversations, hurt feelings, big feelings. <laughs> and, and one of those for me and for lots of adoptive families has been this idea of extended family. So the adoptive parents extended family and what rules those families play in the development of an an adoptee's life and identity and things and reunions (laughs) and the concept of family reunions in some ways that sounds specific but i think in talking about family reunions we'll we'll touch base on a lot of other things that are wrapped up in that so so have you had like like what's your experience with with family reunions within your adoptive family or extended family in general
1: yeah, it's a great, it's a great job of going So so much in that for sure. In my family of experience, in my adoptive family, we tend to spend a lot of time together, generally speaking, the core of our family. So my mom, dad, my siblings, my nieces and nephews, their children. My, I have an uncle and an aunt that spend a fair amount of time with us. So we don't do more more broadly more event driven family reunions mm-hmm. they're 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 more so that we spend a lot of time together generally and uh so we're we're together a lot so we we don't get big extended family um together i mean that happens at weddings and things like yeah. that right and there, there's so this is like just this idea of family gathering mm-hmm. so for my my family of experience it's really been just about the, the extension of what was happening in my very close-in family, which was just an, 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 an not, not recognizing things that were really problematic in adoption, right? Like just to say certain things, like a joke about adoption or a um, something about race would come up or even some of the political things that come up in, in family situations. So I think this idea of a family gathering to me has has that piece in my adoptive family which has been handled you know and, and in my grown up years by me but in my younger years not so much right uh just kind of it is what it is um but but shifting that idea to my family of origin and being in reunion with some of those mm-hmm. individuals on my um my mother's side my maternal side um there was just a family reu- reunion for us and It was the marking of the 100th birthday of June, June Junebug, they used to call her, which is my maternal grandmother. And, And she's no longer with us, right? But we had this celebration of her life, mostly virtual, but with some folks in person. And it was transformational. It was wildly interesting and amazing and beautiful and also very much a quiet place for me because I, I had really nothing to bring to the conversation. I don't have any memories of, of this person. Right. So you just sort of sit with that very familiar feeling, both, both in my family of origin and my family of experience of, of sometimes not, not really fitting. Right. When, right. for instance, take it back to family of experience for a second, sitting around like any table that we're around. Cause we're a bit, like I said, we're together a lot and, you know, Thanksgiving brings more family time and things like that. So I talk about the Thanksgiving day table at times to make this point, which is I have no genetic mirror around the table. My sister's family has a very strong genetic connection that my three nieces and nephews look exactly alike. They really do. And it's beautiful. And I recognize the, 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 the real, the profoundness in that because it's something I don't have. So the whole time I'm a kid growing up on you know, listening to that. Oh my gosh, Cooper looks so much like, and you know, people would say this about my siblings or me, uh, you know, about them, but it would never be directed towards me. You know, Oh, your brother looks so much like your dad. And what do you look like? Well, obviously no one. Um, cause I'm very proud and they're not. So this idea of genetic family, um, comparisons that happens when families are together and that's natural. So that's one thing to think about, like when families together, whether it's a family reunion or otherwise, when families gather extended family, the thing to anticipate, is that genetic comparison that, wow, so-and-so looks like such-and-such and, such. and then there's the adopted person who their ancestors and the people they look like just sort of hang on the edges. There's, 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 you know, if, and if, especially if we're not talking about that. Okay, and the parent will say, well, I don't have connection to family of origin. We never, it's a close adoption of things. Well, you can. I mean, if, if there's absolutely no way to connect, I don't ever believe that. By the way, I think there's always a way, and I think there's always a safe person in an extended family that can be a connecting point and a touchstone. You just at least you can name it, right, and say, "Wow, you have brown eyes. Like no one in the family has brown eyes. I wonder if that your brown eyes came from your, uh, you know, your birth mother, your birth father. You know, um, really thinking about." some of the things you can do in conversation to make space for what might be going on in a child's mind. So there's that one piece that's a very real thing that will happen. I thought about those things. There was never a space for me to talk about it.
0: I think that's super. I'm so glad that you're, you're highlighting that piece. And it definitely comes up in my work with young kids, kids as young as eight or nine will, will actually say and 10, you know, will say, now I have to go sit there and listen to how much my, you know, cousin is like my grandpa, you know what I mean? And I just sit there thinking I'm like nobody here. And I think it's a great tip for parents not to assume that's happening, but to, to make space like, Uh, you know, exactly around that. I'm wondering, I'm curious, you know, sometimes I wonder, do you ever wonder if that's where your, you know, your gorgeous eyes or your big smile comes from or, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever.
1: If someone's a really good basketball player or a really good tennis player or knows how to draw really well, or just has a propensity to do something that's really almost like just a, an innate character trait, Mm -hmm. physical or non-physical that, that, that needs to be discussed. And as a, as a, as an idea, right? Like while we're having the transactional conversations about adoption early on, is it closed? Is it open? What agencies are doing? What, like, what are the policies? What's the, what are the sibling visit, you know, laws? I mean, you got to do all that stuff, but really there's some foundational questions to be asked. Like, you know, Okay, so potentially, because we know that adoption likely wouldn't exist if families were not having challenges, with all the challenges, we need to know those too. We need to know as much information about this family, both medically speaking, you know, just, just the things we need to know and be able to hold so we can, we can be honest in what the narrative is, because at some point a kid's going to want to know, and there's an age-appropriate way to tell kids the most difficult things. But you need to find out, like, what were they good at? Like, did they sing in the church choir? Did they, like... Twizzlers. I don't know. I mean, like, what are some of the questions that you can ask? So then you can fill in some of those gaps. Even if you don't have a relationship, there can be a relationship to that family in a different kind of way when you ask some of these questions. And it's this, that's low stakes stuff. That's low risk. So any parent that's activated around, Oh my gosh, like, how would I create a relationship with these people? I don't know. And they have a very different life than ours. Meanwhile, everybody knows how to do that because they do it in their life outside of adoption all the time with in-laws, with people who are like family, with all the things they know. How to love non-biological people that are different from them. We have evidence of it everywhere so that's that's not an excuse. Um, but there are other ways to do this where you can investigate and be curious and that would go a long way to attaching these character traits and these things that aren't always challenging but just fun and unique and and an exploration of who a person is from the
0: connections to their birth. And that, and to me, it seems too, there's a, there's a process of making people multidimensional that, that birth parents and first parents get sort of frozen in time in a distal space that is unknowable. And even if we're explaining it through hard life circumstances, there's a distancing, right. And there's a, there's a, uni dimensionality, I think. And it is little things like your mom loved Doritos or whatever that, that that's a big thing. It's a little thing and a big thing. If a child is not, um, doesn't have full access to other elements of things, there's a, there's a humanization, there's a multi to all of us and, and yeah, making space. And even if your child, I think this is a funny, you know, not a funny, an important thing for parents to hear because too often I hear, when they ask, oh, um, wait, when they bring it up, <laughs> then I will talk about this. And instead, if you've casually said after the dinner with the cousins, like, "Wow, that was a lot of talk about who looks alike in our family," it made me really wonder about, you know, what your, you know, what characteristics your first family share, and what would we notice if they were all in one place, and mm-hmm. and and even if your child is quiet and doesn't jump in then, it's an enormous door to keep open. It's a responsibility, I think, for an upstairs to continue to, to model, we can talk about hard things. You're, I'm not threatened by discussing your right. first family, and if you're not ready, I won't force it, but I want you to know that this is something that is our family to share and to know and to do, so... Absolutely, no. absolutely. And yeah, just being aware that that's a thing, that it isn't so simple for a kid. Like, it could be because a lot of families do love to talk about all the simple, well, that's an Anderson trait, and oh, well, she's an Anderson woman. You know what I mean? Like, a lot lots of identity that's what human beings do
1: i mean here's what we know is true biological connectivity lends itself to wanting to see ourselves in another i mean that's how we're designed as human beings i mean that's the first basic thing that we have to reckon with and sit with and that can come with a lot of emotion because that the real separation from that is dramatic and in some ways traumatic and we we do have to figure out how to sit with some of that so that we don't avoid it. So that the pieces that we know are going to be just kind of rinse and repeat families do that human beings do that they're looking they're looking for who matches they're looking for that thing that's just how we're designed so we we can't stop that right like right. operating system of being human but we can sit and like pause and think about that and then how does that redirect some of the conversation maybe we go to extended family and say hey just wanted to give you a, a heads up that sometimes we might want to dial that back a little bit you know when joey's here just you know because that is something. And, and you can be curious, too. I mean, that's why if you're having conversations with Joey about it in the home and it's normalized and you're talking about these things and it's just like, yeah, that is interesting. Mom, I wonder. I do wonder about that one day. I wonder if I could see a picture of them. I wonder if we could ever find them. OK, so this is a conversation that happens. Then you get with family and Family is more sensitive to it, too, and they might, the more skilled members of the family, right, who you trust, you might take them and say, hey, you know, this is the conversation that we've been having in the home. And I'm wondering if you notice some things, maybe in a quiet moment when you're talking, you might want to bring that up, too, because everybody can play a role when it's organized, when there is some preparation for these conversations so that it's not just a, a you know, a one person that is responsible for that. It it, it can be taken on
0: by the entire family and that can be a healthy way to hold this complex and unique experience. And, And I think also being able to point out to people, it's exactly because it's important enough that we bring it up over and over again, when we're all together, that you can imagine the subtraction of that, right? Like if you can see like this, it comes up so often You can imagine the meaning and we hold that meaning dearly. And now imagine walking, you know, in a journey in a place where that isn't available to you. Like if, if you're wondering why it's a big deal or why it would matter Clearly, it is because it keeps happening when we're all together. So, what happens in the absence of these conversations? I think you know one more thought about the adoptive family, and then I would love to, if you're willing to talk at all, about yeah. the the reunion piece with with um, first family that. That there will come a time for a lot of folks, I think, for parents, when there's pushback then about being in the sea of this biological relatedness, right? And for people who either have new adoptees in their home or long, long, long long-term adoptees for whom, for us as adoptive parents, like, well, this is my family, so it's your family. These people have known you since you were, you know, teeny tiny, like... And, and yet, I think it's a very common thing from what I hear with the families I work with and support and adoptees that there'll come a time when when a young person in preteen is when a lot of it seems to come up is pretty much like, those aren't my people. Like, who are you? No, we're not going for a family visit. We're going to your family. They're not my family. That's your family. You know, and like a real, a boundary separation. Of mm-hmm. and. And that it, It's power and control too. It's control. It's, I
1: mean, all yeah. these things come up in that in that adolescent period that, they, that they're recognizing that, oh yeah, right. There's another family out there. And uh, by the way, in adolescence, generally speaking, minus adoption, there's a time and point where most adolescents will be like, yeah, I got the wrong family. I don't want to be here because I want to stay up late, eat bonbons and not do my homework. So <laughs> let me go put my hobo bag over my shoulder and go hit the road. I'm going to go find a new place for me. Another family is going to be better. But when you have adoption in the matrix, there is another family out there. And that family is no doubt better than this one. I don't care what I know about it. It's better than this right now because this one isn't working. Right. Yep. Like, and I'm out. So there's, there's the ability to do that is much more real and concrete because of that separation from family of origin. So I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an adolescent thing to begin with, but it's it's more pronounced, I think, when there isn't actually is another family okay. out there that might be investigated.
0: Right. And I think... The work for adoptive parents in that moment is not to defend, not to minimize. They've been good to you. Like, oh, come on. They love you. What do you mean? Grandma took you to Disney. Whatever. Like all of this, like trying to convince a child that there is love and warmth and acceptance on their end. You know I mean? Like there's an immediate, because we're hurt. We wonder if we've done enough. We, we're sad our kids are struggling. Like we clued in parents are sad. Our kids are struggling. Like, darn, this adoption thing keeps like, Oh, I'm not prepared. I wasn't expecting that. You know, it's like, how do you just, you know, and part of what I do is a, what to say when it's like, when your kid says those aren't my people, just being able to kind of say like, you know, I am sorry, this is hard. Like it, I I'm sorry. It's hard. I can't imagine what it's like to hold the reality of of two families and that this one doesn't really feel like yours sometimes Yeah, and not, not try to problem solve, not try to convince and show love and, and cheerlead, you know, what a part of the, because it just, It's just knowing that there are some things we may not understand and that all Mm -hmm. you have to do is say, I am really sorry for the parts of this that are hard. I can't always foresee when they'll come up. I am glad you are telling me that part of what we have going on this afternoon is hard and, and, and I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: I I also think that there's just an
0: acknowledgement of
1: like, yeah, they're not genetically your people, your family. It's a fact. It's true. That's true. (laughs) Relationally, they are. And and, and they relationally are because we adopted you. If you don't feel a relationship to them that's valid. That's different. That's, that's valid and different. We don't always feel a relationship to those we have been enfolded into a family system, whether biologically or adoption. So you can guarantee that there's going to be some of that. Again, this is more broadly speaking, but you can really see the what adoption can teach the world is that both and is real. You can both be enfolded into a family that you love and they love you and it feels good, But and you can also long for the family you you missed and you're not with and you're separated from. There there are two two realities when we deny that and to your point try to. But we love you and this and we we're not like in that moment with it to say that's I'm sorry that that feels that way. But it's also it's also true. You know it's also it's also a fact. And as parents, you can also have sadness about that, right? Like, you know, and it, it, it's like, yeah, you know what I do too. It's, it's, it is kind of sad. As much as I love you, I, I do think that that separation is sad for me too. I mean, I benefit from, from that separation, honestly, because I'm your parent. I get to parent you, but I think, it, I do think it's sad. That is transformational because it, it, it doesn't mean that there's any way that it, that it, it, it lessens a, a adoption or, or it, it makes it, um, a bad thing it's just it's just it's sitting with the truth and the facts like and we know this now to be true that there is curiosity. There is questioning. There is this desire to have that connectivity and that open space for conversation at, at a minimum, at a maximum. There's a real relationship with those, those individuals that you are part of in some way, shape, or form. So when family comes together in ways through a family reunion, a family dinner, anytime where, you know, there's a gathering, those kinds of things can come up. And what usually happens is we are so activated by the planning and the transactional elements of the thing, all the dinner, the this, the that we totally lose sight of kind of the interactions, the human interactions that may be putting kids into a space that does feel psychologically or emotionally unsafe. And what that looks like is you 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 have to anticipate it coming, you know, in the calendar, the calendar helps us, right? That's why born in June, raised in April is such a, I use the calendar as a device. You know, those are my names that I was given one by my birth family, one by my adoptive family, neither which I'm born in. So it's really takes the calendar as a theme and say okay we know thanksgiving is coming that may be a hard that may be a hard day how are we going to organize that maybe thanksgiving moves to my house or you have a safe place honey where you could go when the family system gets maybe too heavy or you look at me and we have a thing that goes yep time to go too much family genetic comparison going on let's go let's go take a loop right you got to anticipate some of this stuff make plans for it unpack it before and give the kid like hey look i
0: I don't want to go to thanksgiving i want to take a break this year okay let's do some. make a new tradition and and let go of the ju- like and let go of the jet ju- right immediately. I think parents go to like well everybody you know what are they going to say if we don't go or what if my kid is the one who is off by himself or hers? And it's like yep yeah, well, that is placing your need to feel validated and seen by your family ahead of your child's very distinct need right like a you're a grown up b you're not in this situation where you've been severed from biological connectivity. And so for those two reasons, show up, you've got to just, explain to people you may not understand. I'm not open to conversation about how this is going later. I can yeah. chat. Or if you do need to do the pre-work with your family, Hey sis, Absolutely. guess what? We're going to show up late. We're intentionally going to come for the last half so that we leave. Or are the beginning and we'll have somewhere to go. And you just, thanks for, you know, understanding. If you're genuinely curious, we can chat because there is a, you know, there's a, our parenting is sometimes just that feels, even if it isn't, more on display when we're navigating kind of differences and dynamics that other folks it's, you know, the conspicuous sort of planning and decision-making and, 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 um, you know, sometimes families I've seen try to go to humor in that moment, but like, yeah, no, Mm -hmm. you're right. You're not related. Well, then, thank goodness you don't have the heart disease. You know what I mean? And like make light of that situation. And I think part of what I talk about in this work in general is that's a great strategy if you've already done the work around, I'm sorry, that stinks and I'm sad. Yeah. If you yep. jump right to, well, yep, and you're tall because of it, be thankful for that. You know what I mean? If you if you go right to, hey kid, actually that's a bonus without yeah. recognizing that there is loss and that there and there is sadness that both of us are probably feeling because we maybe didn't mm-hmm. anticipate that at this point, this still wouldn't feel like family for our child who's been in it that that sure humor can be a beautiful part of that but not if that's your go-to first it completely sends the tone that 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 you can't actually do the hard stuff that you're glossing over or minimizing stuff so i do i use humor a lot but it has to be done on the heels of
1: real big
0: work sitting with for sure and such good advice Mm And it leads me to I'm thinking about what you're talking about with the both and and, and I know reunion is a is a, is a huge um you know topic in and of itself. And you were mentioning that that what what must be really powerful slash hard, impossible to navigate is then in first family gatherings, also feeling like there's a footing that is unsure or a belonging yeah. that is what, what would you like? Yeah,
1: it's, of course it's, it's fascinating. So I'm in reunion several years now with my maternal first um, birth family of origin. And it's been, it's been good. I mean, my, my, my mother of origin was easy to find hard to make a relationship with. She ultimately left the planet before we were able to ever meet again as adults after, you know, being separated um, a few days after I was born. So with that though came connections to half siblings and such post her death so it's been a negotiation because of the 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 reality of having another child that no one knew about and all the things that family dynamics pull into this but it, being in, in relationship with that family now is is amazing and, and it's awesome and it, but it's also like i <laughs> there's this, this 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 kind of this connection to novelty that sort of feels like it it's it goes across both of my families. Um that is, you know, being. Brown in a white family, there was some novelty in that, and I and I say that not and that's not always a good thing, right? right? Just to be for what it is, right? Right? Like, and there's a lot of complexity around that, but but then there's I, I also feel because the family that I'm in union with on my maternal side is also white, so there's also that like novelty of like oh wow they, like, I could see we're mostly on Zoom and um, and there's some people in together in, in the in the room, and I could see some folks just kind of doing that a little bit of a look like, at try to like because I look so much like her, so there's this think of even around genetic relatives to feel this like a little bit of a different lack of connection connection it's it's really complicated and just even the fact that they do family reunions they do them and there's a big extended family that comes together that is a tradition I, I'm not used to that We don't really do that in my family. So just all these different things and to think about as a grown-up what my life would have been like had, I stayed in that family and there were plenty of people within the family system that could have cared for me. And in, in a lot of ways, there was a little bit of a shared responsibility from the grownups and aunts and uncles with all the kids. There was a lot of, you know, this one took care of that one, not like full on, but there was a lot of togetherness. So it's really curious that no one knew that I existed. And so there's there's that piece of it. So when I think about what would be useful to parents now, it's having to unpack this as a grownup is is so much harder. Even though my intellectual capacity and my emotional, the ability to handle my emotions and to have a great therapist and to take care of myself in a certain way, it, this would have been so much better if I could have unpacked some of this over time mm-hmm. and in a way that, that made it that other things didn't get compromised in my life. I have so much labor goes into trying to figure out my identity and who I am and to stay kind of really focused on being well in this in this dynamic of, of adoption and transracial adoption, that so much other things to get compromised, you know, not work necessarily because I work, you know, I'm a worker. I'm oh, like, yeah. that's what my family that raised me taught me. It's like work, you New England, we work hard. But there's just other relational things that get compromised because there's so much effort going into who am I? Where do I fit? And it's sort of a constant thing. So the sooner that these connections and conversations and relationships can form, I think the better and healthier the holding of this experience will be.
0: Yeah. And I, and I know there isn't a, I really appreciate that in terms of like, how do we, how do we navigate that? Cause there is no one answer. There's no absolute by age, you know, eight all, you know, regardless. What, what do you, what do you say? I mentioned it briefly, but what do you say to parents who are, who are like, well, should I be? Do I initiate reunion? Am I like cyber sleuthing? Am I doing this for my adoptee? Am I
1: like, all the things? Okay. Yes, one hundred <laughs> percent. Because here's the thing: what? So we lose our minds sometimes in adoption. <laughs> like all the things that we know to do to protect children and to give them all they need to not just to survive but to thrive. We sort of forget those skills when we're talking about adoption. Like, should I do this? You don't let it kid decide where they live, you know, like, you know, sometimes you do when there's, a, there's a custody and there's a kid yeah. who gets, you know, to be in front of a judge and they talk through it. And there's, and sometimes in foster care, a kid will decide where they get to live. So there are times when that happens, but most of the times parents are like in charge, right? They're in charge. And, and they also, kids don't just decide, oh, that's my new friend. Now I'm going to go sleep over. No, like right. parents vet people. That's what they do. They make sure that, oh, you know what? There's a peanut allergy. You have peanuts in the house. Like you do all these things to protect kids and you take the lead on that. Right. So why is it any different in family of origin? Right. Like, and, and, and what I've learned to be true is that for a lot of parents who say, well, oh, they're not ready. Well, I'll wait. And when they're ready, I'll, I'll do this. It, you know, how hard it is When, when you need to find someone and you haven't done any of that work and the kid's ready to go, and then you have to wait because you don't know where these people are, or you haven't had created a relationship with them. This relationship is for the grownups first and foremost, and it takes time. And it, and it's not, it's again, like when you think about custody and like separation and the parents who say, do you want to go see your dad? Do you want to go see your dad? Right. And the kid's like, well, I kind of do, but you kind of don't want me to. So no, I don't. So it's like, it's how we ask the question. It's, Hey, you know what? I'm going to see your dad. Do you want to come? You know, or you know what? The kid says, no, I don't. Well, I'm going to go anyway. Can I take this piece of art that you made in school this week to show them? Does that be okay? Cool. Great. Bye. I'll see you when I get back. Right. Like it's not a forcing of that. And then maybe at one point he goes, mom, can I come? Or, you know, or in this event a flow, but it's this, these are the relationships for parents to have first. Full stop. And it's not, a, it's, it's not going against uh, kids. It's not, it's like, and, and yes, cyberstalk. hundred percent. You do not want someone to die. Okay. You don't want someone to die. Let's just be clear. You want to know things you want to see how birth family is doing. You want to check in to see has that, you know, that situation that may have been part of the adoption. The first was, has that gotten better? You know, and if that, if it hasn't, then you're going to go and you're going to spend time with that individual, right? You're going to, you're going to show love for that person. You're going to be in relationship with them so you can take bits and pieces back, but it may not be safe for your kid, but don't, don't like put that, Oh, this isn't good for them. is isn't safe for them in front of you making a relationship with these individuals and find an extended family member. If, if, mom or dad or find an auntie find a find a family friend that may be that may be a better person to be in touch with and keep and be clear with communication you can do this it's not it's not outside of the realm of possibility we do it all the time in other ways but we we get we get really activated when it comes to adoption we don't want to take those steps but you gotta try and sometimes it's not going to be the way you want it to go
0: and there'll be disappointments but Better than, better than to not do it at all. And I think that's the thing in life, sort of in my work in psychology, the overwhelming majority of what I spend time doing is encouraging people that the right thing to do is to walk toward hard, painful, uncomfortable, to come out on the other side, less of those things than you were before it peaked, right? Like it's inviting these things that are, you're right, they're probably, could be discomfort in reaching out to a first parent that you haven't been for a while if you're already actively on this journey or like worries about you know there's a there's this fundamental lurking i think insecurity in the adoptive parent the same way that we're saying like hey that biology is so strong you know in the absence of it a child feels disconnected i think that for a lot of adoptive parents there's a lurking insecurity about what if what if something suddenly changes and the lack of biological connectivity means my kid doesn't pick me i mean i, I it, yeah. it really welcome is to the like, party i say welcome <laughs> to the party adoptive parents <laughs> Get line behind me Yes, (laughs) and
1: take the lead and take the lead and go get doing, go do the stuff that you need to do. It's not, we can't carry the, the, the stuff for both of us. And that's what a lot of adopted persons have to do is carry that heaviness for us and for the people that are supposed to be taking the lead in our healthy identity development, in our relation, in our relational modeling for
0: things we can't do, we can't do it for both of us. And and in no world, right. In no world is the answer to that fear, to ignore it, to to never, ever, ever set up a situation. And I think parents don't even realize that they're holding that thinking. And then we're not naming it. We're expecting our kid to be the one who lives in the isolation and the severing of, because what if it's a good thing? You know, I mean, there's so many ways that, that adoptive parents and clinicians because I also want to say for the therapists and the psychologists who are listening, I have come across countless well-intended clinicians who fall into the line of of working with adoptive families and supporting this notion that it isn't time, it's not the right time waking right. the child, it's destabilizing it will be confusing although blended families of various kinds are navigated daily, oh, exactly. I mean like so often there's a collective Fear of that unknown, fear of the hard conversation, fear of a torn loyalty. I mean, all of these things that keep people saying it's just not right, for the child, it'll be confusing instead of doing the work so that they can love their kid through the hard things that they signed their child up for when they mm-hmm. chose this family formation path. Mm-hmm. And that they signed up for. It. I mean, they signed yes. up for it. But,
1: you know, we we haven't really been in that space and time for that long that we're right. steering into this. Podcasts like yours and mine haven't been out for <laughs> forever. We we have been coming out of, a you know, early 20th century of secrecy, shame, all the things and we're still now um we're 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 really in the in the sort of the adolescence of the after effect we're mm-hmm. we're not nearly there where we're we're reformed into a fully functioning adult kind of process that that needs a lot more time to mature we're 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 figuring it out right now in a lot of ways is new research every day there's lived experience that's coming to the surface that wasn't available before and kids are still getting adopted and families are still going about their their lives. So there's a real like fixing this thing while it's barreling down the tracks. Right. <laughs> and that's where we are. And that's, you have to name it. And it's going to be up to the grownups who are in charge and entrusted with these precious lives that have to elevate and level up and and do the thing. I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is because the urgency could not be more clear. It's never been clear. Uh, we, we know the, the statistics are overwhelmingly so that there are more challenges with with those of us who've been separated from family of origin and are adopted. And there's just, there's no two ways about it. So how can we mitigate that? How can we make this as whole and experience as possible and as joyful and as beautiful and as rich and we have a big opportunity it's just it's just taking those steps
0: it's hard yeah and we can do and we can do hard things right on these i think that a lot of what i talk about is the that when parents are parenting a kid who's on a road they weren't on themselves that that it's it's an invitation and and a nudge. It's a door open and and hopefully these these conversations and the ones that you're having every day in in your podcast and hopefully parents will take and, and all the work you do, take themselves there because the door is open and I'm nudging. And I have a foot in the backside to just say, like, we we just know there is a need, and and the both and I think living in the both yeah. and of adoption and and noted very intense hard feelings live side by side with very intense joyous feelings. Yes, and to turn away from and, and either is harmful. And before and before we
1: sort of wrap up, yes. what I want to say is that I usually say this at the beginning of stuff, and I'll say it at the end, but. I have the, these principles that I that I live by in terms of the work that I do in adoption. They're, they're one every, yeah, even the most vigilant eye has blind spots. And so what are the gaps? What are we filling in? Even the parents doing the best they can. It's like, what, what are the blind spots? It takes 10,000 hours of practice to become expert at something. That's a Malcolm Gladwell idea. Mm-hmm. And from outliers and talking to strangers and Blink, I believe that to be true. And I just always question how much time we have logged into the complexity around adoption and how much more time do we really need to log in to be able to be expert at navigating this and and, and, on our way towards expert. And the last is all parents are my parents. So when I say hard things, when I am saying, gosh, you know, this is what I think should happen. This needs to be better. and, And I expose some things that I wish my parents had done better. It's because of their love for me and because of the confidence I have in that, that allows me to be this open and vulnerable because I know they're keeping me. I know I'm not going anywhere. And I deliver some of this with, with like an underpinning of love and, and hope and, and just real accountability. So the, that's important for, I think for parents here, because it, the parents need to be held in this too. I get, I get that mm-hmm. and, and, and need to have this space where they can process and be, be seen and heard and and feel the things and be, and, and, and be in community with each other uh, to, to process through this experience. So I just want to always give a word about that because it's important that yeah. parents know that they're loved and right. uh, they are, uh, you know, without <laughs> right. them, we, you know, we, we need you engaged and we need you to be leveling up this work.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a great place to end that one of the other takeaways is You know, listen to adoptees, center adoptee voices, and find other folks on this journey that you can cry with, laugh with, you know, scratch heads with, and that and that both of those pieces of learning and support are critical. I'm so grateful. Um, I'm mindful of how much how busy you are and what you're doing. And I just love that you landed and we were able to to dive right in mm-hmm. and get into some trickier stuff. Wonderful. Thank you so
1: much. Appreciate you. <laughs> take, Laura. Care. take care. Bye.
0: All right. Well, thanks for listening today. And if you'd like to find me other places, come take a look at my website, com. There you can join my newsletter and keep in touch and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.